we're going to talk a little bit about being humbled so the Lord can lead us. Yeah, cultivating love. Anything having to do with character formation, I, I look forward to. So And dealing with our weaknesses. It's yeah, be great. good stuff today. So welcome. Before we get into our discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Let's do it. So today we're studying sections 111 through 114 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph and others are going to go to Salem, Massachusetts. The Lord is going to comfort them in their trials. He also promises to bless them with opportunities and guidance. The Lord also gives a revelation to Thomas B. Marsh, who is invited to be humble so that the Lord will lead him. Thomas is also told to love other people, and he's also invited to pray and pray for his brethren. Mm-hmm. So there's a few different things that we can talk about today, but we're going to focus in on three in particular. Uh, seeking humility to have God lead us. Uh, this idea that the Lord will bless us in our weakness and how the Lord teaches us to love. So in order to help us to dive deeper into our scriptures and understand these things a little bit better, we have invited our wonderful friend, Kimberly Matheson, to be with us today. Kimberly, will you meet us up here? Yes, I would love to. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is exciting. So Kim, you are a doctoral candidate in theology at Loyola University in Chicago. You are also on the board of the Latter-day Saint Theology Seminar. You've contributed numerous articles to the Journal of Book of Mormon Studies. Your research is focused on scripture and theology. And I think you're writing your dissertation on the subject of prayer, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yep, that's right. Excellent. So what, what is the uh, Latter-day Saint Theology Seminar? Oh, great. It is a group of scholars who get together for about two weeks in mm-hmm. some location over the summer. And they study very intensely a short passage of scripture. So usually about half a chapter from the Book of Mormon, just a few verses. It's very intense, very slow, close reading. And then there's a conference at the end. And it's just a lovely way to model how to read really closely and engage closely with the text. Excellent, thanks. Um, Before we get into our discussion, I'm wondering, were there anything in these sections that kind of stuck out of you as especially significant or meaningful or maybe things we need to know going in? I was really struck in section 111 Mm -hmm. at how much it seemed to me to echo a very famous passage of scripture. And I noticed this already in verse five of that section. When the Lord is telling uh, the church leaders Concern not yourselves about your debts. And the very next verse says, Concern not yourselves about Zion. He goes on to talk about peace and power flowing to them and the way that God's going to order all things for their good. And it almost started to feel to me as if section 111 were a kind of modern day redux of the Mm -hmm. Sermon on the Mount, which is another famous passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples about money and telling them not to worry about it, Mm -hmm. that God's got it in control. And I think just like in Matthew, we're counseled here to trust God that he has our best interests in mind, including our financial interests, mm-hmm. and that if we can just rest easy, trust him, let things go, we can then be the instruments in his hands in the right sort of way. So I thought that was really a touching echo in that section. Excellent. Thanks for that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So maybe we can jump into our first topic then, uh, which is seeking humility to have God lead us. I really appreciate what you're just saying, Kim, especially in context of what's going on in the history of the church at this time. When we get into section 112, where this verse is coming from, we're actually talking about Thomas B. Marsh. We may recall Thomas B. Marsh, he he joined the church and a month later he's called on a mission. And the Lord is now going to continue to talk to Thomas. But during this time, there has been, due to some of the issues with the Kirtland Temple, the Kirtland Safety Society, struggles in, in Missouri, 
we have many of the members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and others who are leaving the church, and Thomas is very concerned about them. So in this process of trying to help these people, he goes to the Lord and prays. And that famous verse that we often read, um, be thou humble and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by the hand and give the answer to thy prayers, is specifically given to Thomas B. Marsh in this difficult time. Mm -hmm. And there's more about Thomas that we'll talk about in the future. Yeah, and you see this theme of humility, not only in section 112, but also in, in section 111 and, yeah. and throughout later on. But I mean, just looking through here at verse three, you know, uh, blessed are those who abase thyself, they'll be exalted. Verse eight, the low ones will be exalted. Verse 10, like you were saying, be thou humble. So the question is, what is the importance of humility in the Lord's service? Why do you think such an emphasis on this one virtue? I mean, I think verse 10, Barbara, as you're saying, it's very familiar. I can't read verse 10 without wanting to sing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think often we read this verse and we're just so touched by the beautiful imagery and the promise mm -hmm. that God will lead you by the hand and give you answer to your prayers. But it dawned on me as I was studying this verse, we might play with reading that almost threateningly. You'd better mm -hmm. be humble because yeah. God is gonna lead you and he's gonna give you answers to your prayers. Uh -huh. That's yeah. actually a really tall order. You need humility because God is gonna tell you what to do. Yeah. Every time you pray, you're gonna start getting answers. Every time you're gonna take a step, he's gonna grab you by the hand and show you where to go. So I think that humility is necessary for God's work, as you were saying, because it's actually kind of a tall order to follow mm -hmm. the Lord's instructions. Mm -hmm. It's often not where we wanna go and humility is necessary in that process. Yeah, and maybe he's gonna teach us a lesson one way or the other and mm -hmm. we need to dispose ourselves to be able to recognize that when it comes, right? Yeah, and just to kind of reiterate, I mean, as, I, as you were talking, I think humility is really the key that unlocks divine aid. And it's important to recognize that anything that the Lord asks us to do, this is his work, it's not ours. Yeah. And we have to be disposed such that he can work through us. And I think humility is kind of the key that unlocks that um, disposition for us. I love this quote by Elder Suarez. He says, only those who are humble are able to acknowledge and understand the Lord's answers to their prayers. Mm -hmm. So I mean, right in the context what you're talking about, it requires that, that level of humility. And you know, we, we could talk about why that is the case, it's just kind of what we're talking about, but it is actually a reality. Yeah. Jen? It makes me think that humility increases our perception. When we're not humble, when we're prideful, uh, we're like hyper-focused on things that are in our own mind. Whereas when we are humble, um, it opens our minds, our senses, our spirits to be able to just receive more information, especially from the Lord, so that we can be able to put ourselves in a place where we can uh, have that better direction. We're looking outside of ourselves and therefore are more uh, able to receive things that other people and God uh, would have us to. So I think we actually have a video from a viewer at home uh, who asked a question regarding humility. My name is Ilona Hansen and I'm a sophomore in high school. My question is, how do you seek to be humble? Because that often comes up in the scriptures, is you're supposed to be humble and trust in the Lord, but how do you try to be humble? How do you achieve being humble. So what do y'all think? Yeah, Addie. Um, one way that I seek to be humble is I serve others. I've found that I can really see situations that I'm in and others are in compared to me and it helps humble me. And after the fact, after I've served, when I just am filled with love is when I know what I've achieved humility. I like that because, I mean, I don't know if it's possible to know you're humble or to think you're humble and still be humble at the same time, right? Because if you're thinking, oh, how, like, oh, I'm so humble. My gosh, guys, you know, 
Like that's kind of prideful, but the fact that you recognize your humility by the love you feel for other people and maybe the Lord's hand in your life, it's just a recognition of like how much God has helped you as opposed to a recognition of the own gifts that you possess. So maybe that's part of it, at least in terms of recognizing. I think so. I mean, I think, you know, as a child to parents, you don't realize this is in a case how dependent you are on them. Then becoming a parent, you recognize, oh my goodness, I was so dependent on my parents and I needed them for so many things. And in a sense, it kind of brings this humility, like how did they do that? I'm nothing compared to them. They were able to do this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same way with the Lord. The more we know the Lord, the more we study our scriptures, the more we turn to him, the more we trust in him, the more we recognize our full dependence on him. And I think that that's also one of the reasons why it's tied to prayer. When we pray to God and we really try to understand his will for us and understand who he is and his nature, we are naturally becoming more humble because we recognize who he is. And therefore it helps us to see who we are in context of him and our true dependence on him. Well, talking about just our deep dependence on God, I think fits really nicely with verse 10 because it's striking how intimate the tone is in verse 10, especially as you were saying, there are other verses that talk about humility. Verse three talks about Thomas Marsh having abased himself. And the Lord talks about this kind of in the past tense, But that's not the most fully developed or mature form of humility that's in this verse. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to verse 10, all hierarchical metaphors are gone. We're not talking about being abased and then being exalted or being brought low and then brought high like we are in verse 8. By verse 10, it's just the command to be humble. And then I'm so touched that God then says, the person who leads you is not just the Lord or God, but the Lord thy God, Mm -hmm. your personal Savior. He doesn't just lead you. He leads you by the hand, the way you might reach out to a child or someone who's visually like impaired. Helping a child to walk or something yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think in God's eyes, that's very much what we are. We're children and we are visually impaired. We don't see everything he sees. Mm. But I think this lovely tenderness and intimacy that's on offer here, if you want mm. to be led that way, by the hand, tenderly like a child in that kind of relationship of dependence you were talking about, Barbara, humility is the key. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for that. So this has been an excellent discussion on seeking humility to have God lead us. Now maybe we can talk a little bit about how the Lord blesses us in our weakness. Where do we see the Lord blessing the saints in their weakness in these sections? I think we see this throughout these sections, frankly, but where we first see it is right off the bat in section 111. You see in verse 1, I, the Lord God, am not displeased with your coming this journey notwithstanding your follies. This is the reality. They want to serve the Lord. They want to be apostles. They want to be strengthening the church and things, but they are struggling. They had the the temple that was just built. They put everything they had into it. They have debt that they need to pay, and they need this financial treasure in a sense. The Lord is going to take care of those things. But in their very weakness, the Lord is going to continue to bless them. Joseph and those others don't realize at the time that as they're meeting with leaders and as they're searching for these treasures, they are going to find treasures. They're going to find family history that's going to be extremely significant in the future. And one of the things that I love about this too is, you know, five years later, Erastus Snow is going to go back to the Salem, Massachusetts. And Joseph thinks he's going in a sense for money, but he doesn't realize that the souls of mankind are going to be saved in this area. In fact, in just within a few years, there are going to be over 100 members of the church that are going to, going to be baptized as a result of those initial efforts of the prophet and those who are with him. So although he was looking for a financial treasure, in a sense, the Lord is going to bless these saints with a very real treasure of the salvation of their souls. That's cool. So continuing on the theme of weakness, I'm wondering, Kim, did anything kind of jump out to you in these sections about how the Lord works with either the saints specifically or maybe us in our weaknesses? Yeah, both. And mm. right in the verse that Barbara was talking about, Verse one, I think, is really instructive when God says, 
I'm not mad about you coming here. I can work with this. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, that to me is just a signature move that the Lord makes on our behalf. Anytime we have weakness, God seems to say, you know what? I can work with that. God is not frustrated with our weakness or tolerating our weakness or rolling his eyes or begrudgingly trying to fix our errors. He wants his children to come with their ideas and work with him. And so I think when, you know, Joseph and the other leaders, when they go to Salem, Massachusetts, really primed for financial remuneration for debts, and that's their frame, God says, that's maybe a little bit rash, but you know what? I can work with that. Or, you know, I I have a calling and I have maybe a little overzealous ideas about how I'm going to fulfill it. God looks at that and says, you know what? We can work with that. I like the energy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I think we shouldn't be afraid to step up to the plate and try our hand at God's work because he wants his children to work with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, He doesn't want us to sit passively and just just wait. He wants us to work with him in the work of the kingdom. And so he will take our ineptitude and he will turn it for good. Yeah, excellent. Uh, Have there been instances in your life where you felt like the Lord has worked with you in your weakness or whether— or when maybe he's taken your mistakes and turned them to something good? Well, so something that I was thinking about, like when you have a weakness, for example, if you're in a church calling and maybe you're working with someone else, I feel like there's always someone there that maybe, like, your weakness is their strength. And so a lot of times I think he puts someone there where, like, maybe I'm not as organized, but maybe, like, I have, like, these big creative ideas and I could just need someone to help with the follow-through. And so I really think that if you have a weakness, he seems to put people all around you that can help strengthen those weaknesses because he wants the work to progress. That's kind of what I was thinking of as he helps you through other people. And this idea of the body of the Christ, we're all, you know, the feet and the arm, like we're all different, but we can complement each other. Yeah. And just this idea that, you know, relationships are the laboratory in which we kind of accomplish God's work of perfecting the saints. Excellent. Thanks for that. You look at the members of the Quorum of the Twelve then and also today, I mean, talk about a variety of personalities. And, you know, you have, mm-hmm. you have a couple that are attorneys and then you have an educator and then you have a scientist. You have mm-hmm. a couple of heart surgeons and, and they all have different strengths and different weaknesses. And frankly, the Lord recognizes they need each other. And I would say that happens in so many settings that are effective. I, I, I'm always appreciative of great leaders. And one of the things that many leaders talk about is, is when they choose counselors or when they choose their board or people to be a surrounding them in some way, they often choose people who have strengths that are their weaknesses. And they often choose people who disagree with them mm-hmm. because they don't want somebody to be agreeing with them all the time. And they don't want somebody who has the same weakness that they do. They want somebody who's going to push them and help them to be a better person. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, Peyton. Yeah, I had the opportunity to serve in South America, to serve a mission in South America. And I just remember the struggle. I'm so sure so many of us can relate if you're learning a language. You can't say anything, right? And you get in front of these people and they are full of hope. And they're like, you are the one that is bringing me the gospel. Yeah. And I'm like, am I? <laughs> like, I'm trying, but there's like only three words I can say. Yeah. And yet the Lord knows, right? He's like, okay, you can say, I love Jesus. <laughs> So and it's that super powerful. Go into, yeah. And I, I feel like that was a big testament to me. Like, oh, yeah. the Lord, right? He knows what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, he absolutely makes up the difference. I, I remember one time on my mission at the very beginning, like day one, two or three. And I remember with my companion trying to explain some extremely important, what I thought, historical context of the first presidency to this couple that was sitting there. But my yeah. companions kindly said to me, Barb, one of the reasons why the Lord has asked you to speak Spanish is because you don't know those words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she was right. I mean, it yeah. took me, let's just teach 
baptism and faith and repentance. Yeah. We don't have to go into everything else. These people are just trying to find the truth. Let, let the rest slide. Yeah. And for me, that was a blessing. He was really using that weakness to be a strength. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there are ever times in which the Lord does not work with us in our weakness. I mean, yeah. by, by virtue of being mortal human beings in a fallen world, we are weak. And the Lord is always going to, to work with us. For me, section 112 is, is a beautiful section for a number of reasons. But the Lord calls and tells this Thomas B. Marsh to be humble. And speaking of this historical context, he struggles. He actually does end up leaving the church shortly afterwards. And he writes some, some pretty uh, destructive things to the government officials, uh, which actually is going to end up leading to what's known as the extermination order. Uh, members of the church are going to be kicked out of the area. Some of them are going to lose their lives as a result of this. It becomes very scary. Thomas is, is excommunicated from the church for a number of years, and it's about 20 years later where he finally comes back. And I love, I love this circumstance and, and what he says about his own experience. He said, the Lord could get along very well without me, and he has lost nothing by my falling out of ranks, but oh, what I have lost. And then later on, he's speaking to the saints, and he's having, he's having this moment where Brigham Young actually allows him to speak to the saints and tell them about his little struggle that he had gone through in, in coming back to the church. And he said the following, I have frequently wanted to know how my apostasy began, and I have come to the conclusion that I must have lost the spirit of the Lord out of my heart. The next question is, how and when did you lose the spirit? I became jealous of the prophet, and then I saw double and overlooked everything that was right and spent all of my time in looking for the evil. And then when the devil began to lead me, it was easy for the carnal mind to rise up, which is anger, jealousy, and wrath. I could feel it within me. I felt angry and wrathful, and the spirit of the Lord being gone, as the scriptures say, I was blinded. I got mad, and I wanted everybody else to be mad. When you look at his struggle, you just think, oh, this poor man and Thomas B. Marsh, but yet he comes back. Not only does the Lord allow him back, but the members of the church, Brigham Young actually has the members of the church raise their hand and sustain him again to bring him back into the church and unanimously that he's brought back. And I just see this weakness that is so detrimental to the death and the extermination order of the members of the church. The Lord was able to use him, call him in a sense to repentance, and he becomes a righteous, strong member. It's never too late. But his weakness, I'm sure that those members, if, if I had been there, I'm sure it would have changed my life. Just the story itself is very influential for me. Excellent. So this has been a great discussion about how the Lord blesses us in our weakness. Uh, maybe we can transition now and talk about how the Lord teaches us to love. Kim, can you take us a little bit through um, how is uh, loving relevant to what the Lord was trying to accomplish in these sections. Yeah, absolutely. Thomas Marsh is being instructed about preaching the gospel in section 112, as we can tell. But there's this really interesting moment in verse 11 where he is reminded to let his love abound unto all men, not just to the Quorum of the Twelve, who mm -hmm. are, of course, the people he's leading. He's the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. And I think that's such an interesting moment because, for starters, he needs to let his love reach out to the people that the Quorum of the Twelve is supposed to go teach. Mm -hmm. He can't just be concerned for the Quorum of the Twelve because he also needs to love the people who need to hear their message mm -hmm. and maybe not so jealously guard their time or whatever resources he's concerned about. But I think that's a really important reminder. It's very easy for us, of course, to let our love reach first just to our immediate community, the people mm -hmm. we have stewardship over. But Thomas is being counseled to let his love turn outward and reach to people who are outside of his circle of immediate mm -hmm. concern. And I think that's a really lovely example for all of us. So if we were to look at all of the instructions that the Lord gives regarding how to love uh, in this section, I mean, you can see it here. Don't be partial towards other people. Uh, let your love abound. 
love others like you love yourself and then pray for them. I'm curious, when you see these kind of instructions, I mean, how do you respond to that? How can we let our love abound? What does that even mean? How do we love impartially? What do you think? Yeah, John. So I think that this connects an idea that I've had for a long time about receiving the spirit. We learned about in that section 111 that there's an infinite number of ways to receive the spirit. But in section 111, we read in verse 10, for there are more treasures than one for you in this city. And so one of the phrases that's coming to mind for my mission is when I was training, you know, I was really struggling with this elder who wanted to do things his own way. He was a little bit headstrong. And the phrase was, is it wrong or is it different? Right? And so there are more treasures than one for you in this city. This is the Lord speaking to his apostles, but then also speaking to us saying, hey, there are more treasures than one of who people are and how they interact. Mm -hmm. And so as we're trying to be loving towards everyone for whatever they are, we can appreciate the infinite variety that God has given us. Excellent. Thank you for that. Yeah, Jen. And your comments remind me of an experience I had while I was running a half marathon. I was running and for whatever reason, God used it as a learning opportunity. And it came to me like, you're not in a race against other people. All God cares about is all of you crossing the finish line. That's helped me like viewing other people in that context. When I view us all as loved by Heavenly Father who just wants us to make it home, then I have greater love and greater humility for uh, the people who are around me so that I can treat them better in that sense. That's one of the beauties, as you, as you can imagine, I've done many races and usually I'm nowhere near the beginning, right? Nowhere, nowhere near the front. And <laughs> I have loved over the years watching people so kindly and patiently jog back and help those of us at the end keep going, you know? <laughs> and it's so fun. You can do this. And, and these words, and sometimes they don't even say a word. They just jog by you. So you're... You're not the last person, but it's true. I mean, you've never experienced that, Daniel, but some of us, some of us at the end a little bit. I, I love the quote by Joseph Smith where he says, a man filled with the love of God is not content with blessing his family alone, but ranges through the whole world anxious to bless the whole human race. Yeah. And that's kind of what you're talking about as well, Kim, I think. There's, there's a, a, another beautiful story in here. It's section 114. It's a very short two verses. Um, it's the revelation to David W. Patton, who wants to again receive a revelation from the Lord um, the Lord is going to be replacing some of those members of the Quorum of the Twelve who have lost their testimonies or disaffiliated with themselves from the church in some way. And he says, there are those among you who deny my name, others shall be planted in their stead. And David W. Patton is going to be one of those who is planted in his stead. But it, it's shortly after this, in the fall, the Lord actually calls David to go and kind of work with the members of the church who have been hurting and kind of trying to help them fight their battle. And he ends up getting shot and killed in the process. So he becomes a martyr for the church. And of him, the, um, the prophet said the following, he was one of the 12 apostles and died as he had lived, a man of God and strong in the faith of the glorious resurrection and a world where mobs will have no power or place. I just love that idea. And David W. Patton was a great example of one who genuinely did love. The Lord says this a number of times, you know, even if you have to lay down your life, in this case, he, he legitimately did. Not that we have to lay down our lives, but there is this clear example of a man who loved others so much and especially loved the Lord so much that he was willing to lay down his life, and he did. Mm -hmm. I hear running through all of these sections um, a consistent theme that loving the way the Lord intends requires kind of putting our pragmatic day-to-day -day concerns on the back burner a little bit. So section 111, again, is a great example that the church leaders go to Salem 
rightly so concerned about the financial hardships that the church is under. And the Lord's response is, yeah, but did you notice the people while you were thinking about the finances? Did you notice all the people around you? And that's a really poignant question that we might consider as well. As when I'm on the bus commuting to work, do I notice the souls around me when I'm at the grocery store checking one item off my to-do list? Do I notice all the people around me? These are children of God. And the people that are around us in all these places, as we're just focused on our day-to-day, they're the real treasure. They're the real concern. And so I think loving in the way the Lord intends often means hitting pause on all the things that I think are important. Because if I look up at any moment in my life, I'm surrounded by people. And those are, those are the people that the Lord wants me to be concerned with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, who's that President Monson said, never let a problem to be solved get in the way of a person to be loved, right? Yeah. Excellent. Hey, we really appreciate you being here, especially. We appreciate you going to the scriptures, helping us better understand these topics. It's been invaluable for us. And we'd like to thank our audience here in the studio. Thank you so much for your insights, your comments, uh, your thoughts and experiences. Mm-hmm. And to those of you at home, thank you for sending your comments and questions and insights to us via social media. Uh, we'd love to have you come join us in the studio sometime, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week for Come Follow Up. Thanks. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.